0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today, as we do always, help us to dig deeper into the meaning of church, the purpose of church, as it is explained in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we thank you for this time, we thank you for the ability to get together and really express our feelings, our understandings, and our shortcomings. So we thank you and praise you for this and all things, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be sort of digesting and hopefully understanding Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, it's one of my favorites, so... Um, I hope I can do it justice. <clears throat> but before we get into the letter itself, you have to understand the background in which this letter was written and the background in which Paul's, <clears throat> many of Paul's letters uh, face. Paul, is, as you know, was not born in Israel Uh, He was born in Tarsus, which is quite a ways away and in a very prominent uh, Hellenistic type Greek society. Though he was a Jew and his father and mother were Jews, they were also Roman citizens because of being born in the outer skirts of the Roman Empire. But Hellenism had taken over a great deal of the culture and the beliefs of many of the people there because it was so different from Judaism in the way that it allowed people to do a lot of things that Jewish uh, customs and uh, society wouldn't permit. And it got to a point where it was, uh, I don't know how to say it politely, so the word I'm gonna use is raunchy, okay? Uh, And of course, that was very much against uh, the beliefs uh, in Judaism. So Paul was up against a lot of things that he didn't agree with, And he tried to get the people to understand. He wrote this letter after, uh, let's say, between the second and third journey. And he always wrote it, you know, sometime after he had left uh, Ephesus. He was in Ephesus uh, from, say, a, a year and a half to two years. We don't know for sure because calendars as we use them today were not used at that time. Uh, So we don't know for sure, but he said in one of his other letters that it was like a year and a half to two years. Uh, But this is afterwards, when he's hearing uh, of the results of some of his work and how it is being uh, degraded in many ways, So he's writing this letter to not only encourage the people to remain to his teachings, but to get back into the uh, the degree of of favor and uh, faithfulness that was shown while he was there. You see, the people of that territory... When they uh, embraced Hellenism, it really didn't have a lot of direction and guidance. And that's what the people were looking for. And that is why they embraced Paul's teachings and the whole idea of Jesus Christ and so forth, because it gave them something to sort of hang on to and believe in something. But they went to extremes in one direction or another. And it was far away from what Paul felt that they should be. And so he writes this letter back to these people, primarily Gentiles. All right. Remember Paul and Peter decided after the uh, council in Jerusalem that, Peter would remain uh, or continue his focus on trying to convert the Jewish people and Paul would uh, spend most of his time in converting the Gentiles. And that made a lot of sense, I think. That is kind of the way God intended it right from the beginning because Paul was more comfortable with the people in the outer skirts of the Roman Empire than he was with the strict uh, Jewish people of Israel, particularly around Jerusalem. All right. So, with that in mind, uh, I want to get into Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I'm going to be reading a lot of it because there's almost every word is is really important. Okay. <clears throat> Um, It would be nice if I had the right book. That helps. That helps. Yes, it really does. But I have—I'm never lacking for Bibles. I must have five or so people feel that they are doing me a great favor by buying me a Bible, and that's okay. As long as they all say the same thing, yeah. all right. Let let us begin right from this the, the start here. The one thing I want to back up and mention here is that we're not going to get into this argument. If uh, did Paul write this letter or did somebody else write it? Uh, there's a great deal of pros and cons, um, but I don't think that's important for us today. I feel that in anything, regardless of who wrote it, if it is of value, then what difference does it make? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the holy ones who are in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a city, as we all know and it, and still exists, and many people visit it as a tourist site. This letter is not intended just for those people. This letter was intended for all of the people in that area, that region, okay, and eventually to all of the church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's rather uh, brief for Paul. If you're familiar with his letters, the other le- letters, this goes, some of his opening uh, address, which is a little more common to the culture of that time. It goes on and on and there's all kinds of flowery words. That's what often gives people the feeling that this was written by somebody else. Again, I don't think that that's important. Okay, so let's go on. The next part of this chapter, uh, verse three through verse ten, uh, is a very important part of our belief system, and this particular passage, verses three to ten, shows up in many different places within our liturgy. Uh, the Daily breviary, or the Liturgy of the Hours, as it is now called, uh, contains that in several different places. That particular section is often used as the first reading uh, at several uh, of our uh, Sunday Masses and occasionally for weekday Masses as well. And you'll see why, I certainly hope you'll see why, as we go along here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blemish before him. In love he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ in accord with the favor of his will. For the praise and the glory of His grace that He granted us in the beloved. All right now, this is a kind of a flowery open, opening to the next section. But what we're really talking about here is the opening of God's plan of salvation. Uh, going on, it says, "In Him we have redemption by His blood." The forgiveness of transgressions in accord with the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He has made us known He has made known to us the mystery of His will in accord with His favor uh, that He set forth in Him, that is Jesus, as a plan for the fullness of time a uh, sum by all things in Christ in heaven and on earth. Now, you, you all got that, right? Understood that? <laughs> right. It's, it's, it is Paul's way of saying God has a plan for his people and for his church, and he's done it out of love for all of us. Uh, in your first handout, in the first week that you were here, I gave you a diagram, uh, a circular diagram, I don't know if I still have one here or not, in the back, yep, oh I did, Ah, there we go, this one here, okay, I've heard sort of indirectly from a few people that said, oh God, he just made that up all all by himself. No, no, I didn't. That would have been a little too much for me. Uh, This is a diagram, yes, that I did make up, but it's based on what we are reading here in Ephesus right now, this letter to the Ephesians, rather, how God created mankind and did all of the things necessary to establish Judaism and gave it to Abraham, and then to Moses, and then to David, and the prophets, etc., etc., to begin his plan of salvation. So we should never knock or criticize Judaism whatsoever. Some of the customs that came out of that, uh, well, we don't always agree with those, but that's beside the point. Our roots are really in Judaism, and that is for a purpose, because it was the beginning of God's plan of salvation. After those things that created Judaism and got it started, uh, and direction, and of course it went way off in one direction when God tried to bring it back, uh, through the prophets and through many of the great people of the Old Testament. But Judaism in itself, even though it was perfect to begin with or perfect as far as it went, it could not be the end all and the be all of God's plan of salvation. It required more than that, more than any human being could provide or give God, and that is why God had to, and it wasn't because it was a second thought or something, it was the plan right from the beginning that God had to give something that was perfect and would be acceptable to him as the official sacrifice for the sins of all mankind, and the only thing that could be given would be God himself. And so he comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. All right. Now, that tells us in a way, and this is what got Paul into a lot of trouble, because Paul realized that through those revelations that we had talked about before. And he's trying to tell the Jewish people that they can progress now from Judaism into Christianity because it is the Christian God, Jesus, who is the true Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for all this time. Well, they, their idea, their expectation of what that Messiah was going to be like was the knight on shining armor that was going to be have all kinds of power, and he was going to root the Romans. In other words, it was sort of a human, land-based type of Messiah. But Christ, as you know, was not that. He was more, but it was so different from what they expected uh, that they didn't want any part of it. Now, yes, we had a number of Jewish people finally did accept it, but a small number really in reality to the total. So this is what Paul is trying to get across. And you can see the problems uh, that he had to hurdle in trying to convince the people that many of the customs and traditions that developed within Judaism that were acceptable and necessary perhaps at the time that they were started, but they are no longer necessary because they are not a part of God's plan, nor are they really involved in worshiping God himself, you know, the dietary laws and a lot of the dress codes and the customs. Uh, Those things may have been okay at one point in time, but now with Christ fulfilling the requirements of the sacrificial offering within this, we now move on beyond Judaism into Christianity and the worship of Christ. So it went from a law and land-based, belief system to a faith-based system that also went from a, a faith Judaism, that is, that was really centered in the high priest and the priests of the temple in Jerusalem, and everybody else was just primarily a spectator. In other words, they didn't have to really get involved as long as they followed the rules and the customs. In Christianity, that's not the case. Every person has a responsibility in Christianity to worship God directly, in a meaningful way, on a one-on-one basis. And that's where we often fail. We fall down or aren't aware of that Particular requirement, but that's a very main uh, requirement within Christianity. So that's, uh, I know, a a long winded way of explaining these few uh, verses here, but um, so be it. (laughs) I I like this letter so much that I'm willing to, you know, go on and on and on, but let's. Let's, let's move on here <clears throat> from verse 11. In him we were also chosen, destined in accord with the purpose of the one, that is God himself, who accomplishes all things according to the intention of his will so that we might exist for the praise of his glory. We who first hoped in Christ In him you also have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him who were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here in a kind of a flowery way is that all of what we have been given as our belief system has come from the Holy Spirit. Again, That is now the work of the Holy Spirit. See, God the Father set up Judaism and all of the rules and regulations that were the roots of Christianity. Christ came and watered that and fulfilled the main uh, objective. That was the divine sacrifice. And then he turns it over at Pentecost to the Holy Spirit, who then now tries to take the benefits of what the Father did and what the Son did and then bring them back through the church and bring us back to God himself. Remember, Judaism did not believe in hereafter. Or if they did, and some of them did, but most of them did not, and most of them still do not, believe in a hereafter or that mankind is going to return to God the Father at some point in time after death. Um, But the whole objective here is to take us back to the Father and that is the Holy Spirit's responsibility. obeying the laws. Question, Julie's question was what does Judaism believe in and that was all of these rules and regulations and that in itself was to them their way of worshipping God. How do they, to or they, don't... they don't believe in heaven. You see, that is the problem. They don't believe in Uh, that there is a heaven in the way that mankind will eventually get back to it. Let us go on. Verse 15. Therefore I too, hearing of your faith, that is the faith of the Ephesian people, that is being really tested, in the lord jesus christ and your love for all of the holy ones do not cease giving thanks for you remember you uh i am remembering you in my prayers that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him may the eyes may, yeah may the eyes of of your heart be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call, what are the riches of glory in his inheritance among the holy ones. And it's a flowery way of, of saying that there is a great deal of benefit uh, in Christianity that far exceeds whatever Judaism could have given the people. And what is surpassing, what is the surpassing greatness of his power for us who believe in accord with the exercise of his great might. And we're talking about now the Holy Spirit, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every principality, authority, power, and dominion. Any of you really know what those words mean? Angels, yes. Bingo. yeah, you get the gold star. Um, well, it is said, theology, the theologians tell us that angels are divided into seven different levels. And uh, let's see if I can remember the rest of them. Uh, we have... Uh, Angels, archangels, um, cherubim, seraphim, principalities, authority, powers, and dominions. Uh, I'm not so sure that that's exactly right, but and it's not that important that we know that. Uh, Just getting inside the pearly gates uh, is about what most people uh, expect. All right. And every name that is named... uh, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things beneath his, he put all things beneath his feet and gave him, and he's talking about Christ now, his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let me stop there and, talk a little bit about this whole idea of we being the body of the church now most people when they talk about body they're thinking about a group of people right all right this means a little more than that christ promised that he would be with us forever and how is he with us forever through the holy spirit and through the church, but he is saying that you, as an individual within the church, you have talents and abilities that need to be shared with others. You are the hands, or you are the uh, voice, or you are the the feet, or the ears uh, of Christ in some way. And you need to use those talents for the benefit of others. That is part of this whole idea of church being the body of Christ. Okay. Kind of keep that in mind because so many people lose sight of that. They say, well, you know, if I just go to church and and be a good person, that's all I really think I need. Oh, God is asking more of you. And it is up to each of us to work with the Holy Spirit to find out what that more really is. Let us go on here to uh, a little bit more on this uh, subject of the church as Christ's body. Therefore, I too, hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of all the holy ones, do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of him. All right, I'm I'm repeating, I know that. but it's an important part of the letter. This the whole section on the unity of the church, verses 15 through 23. Let's go on to uh, chapter 2. The generosity of God's plan. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once lived following the age of this world remember he's talking to Gentiles now uh, following the ruler of the power of the air the devil the spirit that is now at work in the disobedient that is the devil is the one that is creating these people to go way beyond uh, what any religion uh, or faith would permit. All of us once lived among them in the darkness. um, That is before we realized and accepted Christ. I lost my place here. Hmm. All right. Following, yeah, all of us um, lived among them in the desires of our flesh, following the wishes of the flesh and impulses, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest. But God, who in it, who is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, brought us to life with Christ, by grace you have been saved and that is something that is part of paul's teachings throughout all of his letters by grace you have been saved okay and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavens in christ that in the ages to, that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you. It is uh, the gift of God. It is not from works. No, no one may boast. For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God has prepared in advance that we should live in them. The gift. That's right. Yes. Uh, there's another way of, of looking at what grace is. But I think your point of the gift is far more important. Uh, uh, you're, you're right. We have nothing to claim uh, salvation on our own. We are sinners, uh, each and every one of us. Well, not me, of course. And, <laughs> uh, we are, we are all, all sinners in the same bucket, you might say, and until we accept Christ. And there's no way of getting out of it until we accept Christ. And that's the unfortunate part, and why, we, while we should, and why we should feel sorry for those people who have no faith. Uh, Because when they get to the pearly gates, they're going to be very disappointed. And yet, it is because they did nothing to open their mind and their heart, as Dale said back there, uh, to the gift that God holds out to all of us. Remember, Christ holds out this gift of faith to all of us but it is up to us to accept it. It is not something he's going to ram down your throat, uh, as the people of Judaism did. This was something that was, in some ways, distasteful to a lot of the people in Judaism is because they had no say-so. It was rammed down their throats, so to speak, and uh, live and die by it. it. He tried to talk to the Jews first, and they just blew him off. Yeah. And so it worked. He decided that his mission was to the Gentiles, and that's that's I think what God intended in the first place. I've been asked why would God ask for a, or appoint some person like Paul. Uh, who was a persecutor, to do such an important job that he ended up doing. Well, I, I think that kind of, in a way, answers its own, his own question, because if you think about Paul preaching to the Gentiles, is because he was one of them, having been brought up in that kind of society, and knowing that, uh, he was much more one of them and was able to speak Greek uh, where many of the apostles were not able to speak Greek, although we think Peter was. Uh, but he had a lot of qualities that the Greek-speaking people, whether they Jew or not, uh, could identify with. But a person from... Jerusalem, uh, or anywheres in Israel, uh, going to Tarsus or any of those places would have a much more difficult time. Yeah. All right. Let us go on. What's that? All right. Well, let's go with the verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those uh, who were uh, circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. In other words, he's talking about the difference between the the Jews and the Gentiles, but the difference, of course, is the fact of, uh, of circumcision which was a physical act done by the hands of a human being, uh, which could never, never uh, in any way satisfy the sins of mankind. But now in Christ, Jesus, who... Uh, I'm sorry. But now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off, and that phrase shows up in Peter's letters quite often. You who once were far off. This means Gentiles who finally accepted Christianity. All right? They were far off, meaning not in geographic location, but far off in belief and faith. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have become near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He who made both one. And broke down the dividing wall of enmity. Through Christ. Through his flesh. Abolishing the law within its commandments. And legal claims. I right, See Paul is now really coming out. Trying to. Convince the. Jewish people but also the Gentiles that Judaism could never uh, fulfill the requirements of salvation. Abolishing the law with all of its commandments and legal claims that he might create in himself one new person. In other words, the whole idea of this section here is that Paul is trying to get these people, both Jew and Gentile, to come together and not be so separated as they were. Uh, remember, the Jewish people had a law within their belief system that they could not enter a Gentile house or eat with them. Remember, they are, Jesus Christ was criticized several times for eating and and uh, being in a, in a Gentile house or a house uh, where like Peter, uh, not Peter, but Matthew, who was considered a uh, traitor to the Jewish people because he worked for the Romans. He was a tax collector and he gave a big banquet and Jesus was there. And Jesus was criticized for eating with tax collectors and uh, you know Gentiles, and that is what this section is all about. Uh, Paul feels that Christ really attempted to, and I believe that that was part of the purpose of Christianity, was to break down the wall that existed, that was built up by the Jewish people themselves, um, and. Uh, have we all become one belief. And I think that in some ways still is the objective because even Christianity now has broken down to hundreds of different uh, beliefs and sects, uh, S-E-C-T-S. And that is not what Christ wants. God does not want to have all of these different beliefs uh, in him, but so far apart as some of uh, the uh, Protestant beliefs are. You know, for example, many of the Protestants have just done away with the Mass altogether uh, because they said that's not necessary, that's uh, not uh, truly the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and so forth and so on. Well, and yet they'll say, why, the Bible alone is what we live by. Well, right in the Bible alone, it says, this is my body, and this is my blood. Christ, of course, I'm repeating. Uh, And how they can totally ignore that is beyond me. Uh, And that is something that Christ does not want that kind of division and kind of disbelief I'm going to repeat a little bit here from 14 on for he is our peace he who made both one and broke down the dividing wall of enmity through his flesh abolishing the law with its commandments and legal rights and claims, that he might create in himself one new person, that is all of us believing the same thing, uh, both former Jew and Gentile, in place of the two, thus establishing peace and might uh, reconcile both with God in one body through the cross, putting that enmity to death, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, you who the Gentiles were far off, uh, and peace to those who were near, the Jew, for for kind of impurity to... Ex- I mean, this doesn't look right. Oh. <laughs> for through him we have both have access in one spirit in, uh, to the Father. So then, you who are no longer strangers and sojourners, in other words, these are the Gentiles that have been converted or accepted Christ, but you are fellow citizens with the Holy Ones and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the capstone. Through him, the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred to the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Uh, this whole idea of equating mankind as stones, and I like to... Uh, present the concept of a mosaic you all know i'm sure what a mosaic is a beautiful picture that is completely made up of little stones cemented together in such a way that it forms a picture many churches are filled with them particularly in europe i like to equate that as we each being a stone in one of those beautiful pictures. And it takes all of us together to make the full picture. Uh, There was a reef earthquake down in Los Angeles years ago when I lived there. And one of the churches that that I had to pass by in going to work every morning uh, had a beautiful mosaic over the front door Outside over the front door and in the process of this earthquake several of those stones popped out and When you went by it, you didn't see the picture anymore All you saw was the black spots here here and here and I was thinking in some ways That represents those people who haven't accepted Christ Uh, Because it takes every one of us to make the complete picture, and that is what he's sort of referring to right here. Peter in Second Peter, Second Letter, of Peter, Chapter Two, gives you the same kind of thing by saying, "You are living like living stones, uh, who are brought together with Christ." as the capstone to make the church whole. Uh, I think a nice way of looking at it. Uh, Let us go on to chapter three, the commission and the purpose of the church in general. Because of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, um, Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if, as I suppose, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit, namely until the mystery was made known to me by revelations, as I have written briefly earlier. When you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to human beings in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets uh, by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, I think that's quite a mouthful, but it's important to kind of understand uh, that in the separation you receive you remember that Judaism was a very exclusive community or they made themselves a very exclusive community and would not associate with the uh, with anyone who was not a Jew uh, But that was not what God intended. In uh, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 6, it says that you are intended, uh, this is Isaiah speaking to Jewish people, you are intended to be a light to the nations. In other words, Judaism was established to develop this community and begin again, God's plan of salvation. But as it began to develop further and further, it was also intended to be uh, a spokesperson for, from God or by God to other nations. But they would not accept that. They would not fulfill that responsibility. Yes, Juliet? Uh, so what? what... We're trying to say here is our obligation includes not not only worshiping God, but also we have to extend our belief system to others as well. In other words, we have to evangelize. Now that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, uh, get on a soapbox uh, down on downtown or anywhere else, but there is opportunities that each of us experience on a day-to-day basis where we have an opportunity to express our faith. We cannot be an exclusive uh, Catholic and not be involved in others. Now. A lot of people might have a legitimate excuse for not being able to go out and do something. But yes, they have an ability to at least pray uh, or do something uh, in a small way to fulfill that obligation. But we all have an obligation to try to encourage others who are not uh, Christians or not Catholics uh, to have a change of, mind and heart at verse 14 chapter 3 verse 14 for this reason I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the kindness of God. You recognize some words in there. What is love? Love is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth. Anyone know the famous poem of what is love by Emily, hmm? Emily. Yeah, Emily. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's uh, important. Did you know that most, not most, but many of Shakespeare's uh, plays are based on uh, stories within the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> measure for Measure, for example, is one of them. Yeah. And uh, that comes, well, I forget the reference offhand, but. It, The wording is whatever, however you measure others, you will be measured yourself, okay, by God in the end. And, of course, this play is sort of based on that objective, okay. Unity in the body. Let's go on to chapter 4. Then I, uh, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live in a manner worthy of the call you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another through love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. One body and one Spirit, as you were also called to the one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. A uh, very important part in the idea of unity. And yet it seems like the world is uh, dividing itself more and more all the time. I think this speaks to the people of today just as it did uh, to the people 2,000 years ago. Um and That's important for us uh, to realize it is not so much that uh, God, uh, we should not be reading this in a way that oh yeah, this uh, it was written by Paul 2,000 years ago to some people called the Ephesians. Well, that's nice. It is just as applicable to us today as it was to them. Look at the people that uh, are so wrapped up in their iPads and technology of today uh, that they don't have time for God. Uh, they're doing the same thing that the Hellenistic uh, Jews and Gentiles both were doing at the time that this was written. And it applies to us all in general today. Look at how... Uh, Divided we are in our belief system. Even from church to church, parish to parish, there's a great deal of division and misunderstanding. Uh, and it, that's unfortunate. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to preach against. Anyone have a problem with that or a question on that subject? Said so Jesus made everything, Grandma. Did he make the jello too? <laughs> so something like that. Mom didn't make me jello. That's why. He was what I'd like to do is repeat a little of what she said. She took one of her grandchildren to to uh, St. Rose one Sunday, and this young, uh, 13, you said, 13-year-old uh, was used to his uh, little uh, smartphone and nothing else. Uh, but she asked him to put it away and, uh, he was so overwhelmed by the newness of church and the mass that he asked her a lot of important questions and wanted to return there, uh, again. Yeah. So that it really, uh, spoke to him in a, in a spiritual way. So that, <coughs> excuse me, I really commend you for doing that and answering his questions as you could. Uh, That is what we are expected to do. I have a brand new great-granddaughter now and I'm trying to get the mother and father to get that child baptized. They don't see the need or the urgency in it and not that there's anything wrong in, in the way of health with the child, in fact she's very healthy, <clears throat> but I think that many people question the um, the value of baptizing a child, uh, an infant, that is. And I say, well, don't you want the best for the child? You take her to the doctor on a regular basis? And uh, you look after her food and make sure that her bottles are sterilized and all of that. And I said, what about looking after the the best of her faith? Well, they didn't have an answer for that, you know. So I say, well, you're looking after the best uh, for her bodily welfare. What about for her spiritual welfare? It's all something that we are responsible for right from the beginning. All right. Let us go on. Verse 17. So I declare and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, darken in understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance, because of their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have hardened themselves over to licentiousness for the practice of every kind of impurity to excess. And this is some of the things that Paul is referring to that the uh, the Gentiles in the, Hellenistic areas were taking things to extreme even to the point of developing uh, within their religious observances, which of course as you know the the Greeks had many gods, uh, they were including some, uh, well bluntly they were including some sexual uh, activity as part of their Uh, religious uh, observances and that's what Paul is preaching against right here (coughs) so in going to uh, the next chapter uh, well actually verse 25 of uh, chapter 4 and therefore put away falsehood speak the truth each one to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, uh, but do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger. Do not leave room for the devil. The thief must no longer steal, but rather labor doing honest work with his own hands so that uh, he may have something to share with one in need. No foul language should come out of his mouth but only such as is good for needed edification, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. All bitterness, fury, anger, shouting, and reviling must be removed from you along with all malice. And... Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. important. Um, There was an occasion for me to explain recently what was meant by uh, love one another, love your enemies. And the person that was questioning me on that, said, how can you love your enemies? And I said, well, for one, by your question in itself, you are misunderstanding the biblical biblical meaning of love or love of neighbor. It does not mean affection. Affection can be, part of love in the right places. But biblical love does not mean kissing up to somebody that you can't possibly understand, can't possibly stand. But it means treating them with respect and dignity and helping them to understand better where you stand with God and how God can help both of you, become better persons through love of neighbor. So please, when you hear that term, biblical love, uh, and love your enemies or love anyone, the next door neighbor, the stranger down the street, whatever, it does not include or intend to mean affection. All right? The first and most important component of biblical love is respect for the dignity of the human being we are all made by god we all belong to god and therefore we must treat each other as such surely chapter five so be imitators of god well that's a tall story as beloved children, and live in love, as Christ loved us and handed himself over for us as a sacrificial offering to God for a fragrant aroma. The whole idea of Christ coming to earth in the first place is to show us the way to love one another and to love, in turn, the Father. And he did that willingly, Uh, in a demonstration of his accepting the uh, crucifixion. Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is fitting among holy ones. No obscenity or silly uh, or suggestive talk which is out of place, but instead thanksgiving. Be sure of this that no immoral or impure or greedy person that is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Well, you know, it's interesting in a way, the so-called natural disasters that are happening all over the world And at the same time, uh, the many people who are uh, being exposed as having been, uh, 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 I don't know how to put it in a very polite way, but uh, merely predators on employees or the sports industry who has gone overboard with uh, sexual misconduct of any kind and the entertainment industry who seems to promote it and yet at the same time uh, say no, no, no you're not supposed to touch anybody or even look cross-eyed at them because you might uh, be uh, accused Uh, to me that is a clash of God trying to tell people look you are forgetting me. You are totally ignoring me and yet the people on the other side who are being pushed by the devil uh, through all of uh, these groups of people that I just mentioned uh, there is a clash coming. Now this wouldn't be the first time Remember, in the Old Testament, God destroyed practically the whole world, uh, and that was the essence of the flood. Even if the story might be a little exaggerated, in the Bible, the idea is still there. Uh, You have Sodom and Gomorrah. You've had the Babylonian captivity. You had the Assyrian conquest of northern Israel, and that was all due to sin. The sins that mankind were creating against God and the uh, whole idea of rebelling against what God presented to them, particularly through the prophets in the Old Testament. Um, If you read Isaiah and Ezekiel, you'll see that time after time after time, they warned the people that danger was coming because of the way uh, they were acting but that God would always hold out uh, his hand if they wished to return I think we are facing the same kind of thing right now God is trying to tell us through all of these natural disasters you are forgetting me have you heard any church member I'm talking about the clergy now Uh, Saying, let's get together and pray for forgiveness in general for society and beg God's mercy on all all of us. Have you heard anyone ever say that? (laughs) Well, I'm not afraid to touch it. Uh, Okay. Be subordinate. All right. Now, remember, this was written 2,000 years to an entirely different culture than we have today. But there's still a lot of truth in it. What Paul is saying, that you don't have to be... You know, women do not have to cringe or kneel in front of their husbands. But mutual love, mutual love of each other is what he's really talking about. And of course, love of husband and wife is different than love of neighbor. But nevertheless... It was all based on honoring Jesus Christ and the Father. So, ladies, please don't be offended. Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of his wife just as Christ is head of the church. Now, that puts a big responsibility on the husband, and a lot of husbands have not accepted that. I have a niece who had three children. The, the youngest one was born paralyzed from the waist down, It's spina bifida, and required almost every minute of her time. And the husband got tired of that and left her. Um, So she had to support three kids and work and take care of this one that was extremely ill. All my sisters did a lot of the work for her as best she could, but that's not the same as the mother. So husbands and wives have a responsibility to each other, and that is what the love is all about. For the husband is head of his wife as, as Christ is head of the church. He himself the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Well, that has changed a little bit. Uh, not the essence of the idea, okay? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her, to sanctify her, the church that is, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word, that he might present himself to the, <clears throat> the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. If Christ is behead, if, if the church is, is the extension of Jesus Christ, then we must love the church. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to love the human beings that run it. We've talked about that before, and we can find a lot of fault with that. But be careful when you start finding fault, even with the people who run the church, uh, because could you do a better job yourself? Uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's, of course, the vow uh, in the marriage ceremony, All right. <clears throat> This is a great mystery, but I speak in reverence to Christ and the Church. In any case, each one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. Children are not exempt either, and it's uh, responsibility of the parents to start right from the very beginning to teach teach children uh, respect for the parents and for each other if there are more than one, Slaves and masters, well, we can kind of forget that since we don't have that kind of slavery any longer, but slavery in this time period was not like slavery as we have thought about it uh, in the 16th and 17th century Uh, of our country today, or the 18th century, that is. Uh, Most of the slavery that is talked about in the Bible was indentured servants, and particularly the Babylonian captivity is a good example, where the Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in the latter part of the 6th century, uh, conquered israel and took most of the people that could do him some good he left behind little children and elderly people who were beyond helping him so that created another problem with those left behind Uh, but the people that were carted off to Babylon became indentured servants they had their own homes they had education uh, they had some freedoms, etc., cetera, et cetera, So it was a little different than what we think of as slavery. Okay. Uh, the end of chapter 6, I'm, I'm going to skip some of this. The end of chapter 6, there's a section here beginning at verse 18. With all prayer and supplication, pray at every opportunity in the spirit, To that end, be watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the holy ones. In other words, praying for each other. And also for me, Paul, that speech may be given me to open my mouth, to make known with boldness uh, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that I may have the courage to speak as I must. Finally, so that you also may have news of me and of what I am doing, Tychicus, my beloved brother and trustworthy minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in mort and immortality. Uh, it's not the flowering ending that Paul has in many of his other letters, but nevertheless, that's not uh, common for us today in our ways. Of I, uh, did you get anything out of this? Uh, Did it become a little clearer now than uh, when you read it on your own? Yes, uh, John? Well, yes, uh, what John is saying here is that we have to be aware of the evil spirit or the devil trying to drag us away. We talked about grace. Grace is God's help in doing that and uh, we should pray for for the grace but we should also be constantly aware that the devil is constantly trying to drag us uh, away from God. Right. Next week. Next week I would like to study Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's a little bit long, but there is a lot of important information in it. With, I think, special emphasis should be paid to chapter 13. It is the the famous uh, poem and prayer on love. What is love? We mentioned some of it today, uh, but Paul puts it in a much more... Uh, acceptable and beautiful way uh, in that letter. So that is what we'll do. Now, we only have three more classes after this. Next week will be letter to the Corinthians. We'll only do uh, the first letter. The second letter uh, would be a little too much. But then the next two and the last two classes, we'll be talking about Paul's letter to the Romans. It is the most theological of all of his letters. And it is from Paul's letter to the Romans uh, that the church obtained a great deal of its first and early theology. It's also the thing that was practically uh, the death message, you might say, for Paul because it totally tells uh the Jewish people that they no longer have to observe the Mosaic law. And of course that's what got him into uh hot water with the Jewish people themselves and so it ended his life by uh they wanted to stone him to death but he claimed that he was a Roman citizen so they sent him eventually to Rome. It took uh, nearly six years for that to happen, but you eventually got there. Anyways, so next week, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, if we have time for for the second one. All right? Any questions before we leave? All right. Let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We ask that you help us to better understand Ephesians and the meaning of church. Help us to really spend a little time each day thanking you and praying for the church. Not necessarily those who run it, because we are all sinners and we all have our problems Uh, but the church itself is an extension of you and is divine and will live forever help us then to pray for that and that other people may eventually accept it as well so we thank you for this time together we thank you and praise you in all things in Jesus name